welcome to the Exploring Deeper podcast, where we explore different perspectives and dive into our life experiences to uncover new ideas and insights. I'm your host, Callie Sorensen. Through these conversations, we hope to educate and inspire one another to expand our minds, gain greater clarity, and have a deeper understanding of ourselves, others, and the world we live in. Thank you for joining us on this journey of discovery, growth, and learning and may we find practical solutions to life's complex challenges. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this very first episode of Exploring Deeper. And I'm so excited because in this first episode, I have a conversation with my best friend, Sama. We met in a cult, hopped into other cults, and luckily got out and supported each other along our recovery journey. Sama was groomed at the age of 17 into a romantic relationship with a cult leader and his small following. We dive into various topics from spiritual abuse to trauma to embracing your rage with pink boxing gloves. Samasati is a registered therapeutic counselor and professional Vedic astrologer living in Victoria, BC, Canada. She is also a two-time cult survivor and specializes in working with fellow survivors of cults and narcissistic abuse. Now let's dive in. I'm so excited because I am having Samasati on as my very, very first guest. And mm-hmm. oh, I feel like I'm already getting emotional. She's just supported me through my entire journey of mm-hmm. while I was in it. And then while I was starting to wake up to like, there's some red flags going on here. And then you really were there for me to help me get out. And even though we were both kind of confused mm-hmm. and had no idea, but you've just been, you're like my one friend that was with me in the cult after the cult recovering and Mm -hmm. now helping others recover from cults. Mm -hmm. I feel like you out of all people know my entire cult journey. (laughs) So I'm just so excited to like have you on and just start talking and see what comes up. And vice versa. Like it's so unique to have like a friendship like that because it's, it's cool because it's like we were both unsure at the same time. We had the same thoughts of, is this kind of weird or like, oh, maybe I'm just thinking this thing and I'm wrong or what have you. But because we're both going through that at the same time, like we're able to support each other more. And yeah, it's like a unique situation. I know, seriously. <laughs> like we're in the same line of work and we're best friends and we were in the same cult. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it might not be your normal interview or normal talk, yeah. but I think it's a good thing. <laughs> For people who don't know you, do you want to share about your first experience in the first cult that you were in? Yeah. Like how you actually got into it or what drew you in and how you woke up and realized, shit, what am I in and how you got out? Yeah. Yeah, The first cult I was in, I was 17 when I met this spiritual teacher. I'm not going to name names just for sake of lawsuit stuff. But yeah, so I met this spiritual teacher double my age. I was really depressed at the time like suicidal I I, at the same time I was getting interested in things like Buddhism and that kind of stuff and my brother was really interested in spirituality or the conscious community going to like kirtan and ecstatic dance and all that kind of stuff and as a 17 year old I was introduced to this and I just had this experience of like oh I feel welcome I feel like my heart can shine and express itself freely like a level of acceptance I hadn't felt before in like high school and then at around that time, I met a spiritual teacher who was double my age, who already red flag, right? Double my age. And especially at 17. <laughs> yeah. And so it didn't start of like having a guru. It started with meeting this guy who was kind of like a mentor to me, super kind, like the whole love bombing stage, right? Super kind, super sweet, just putting all of his energy into me. And we did have like a romantic um relationship kind of on and off for multiple years starting from when I was 17 and he was like 35 34 which now that I'm 29 it's like oh yeah that's not cool at the time it's the whole like age doesn't matter age is just a number and when you're 17 no it's not (laughs) it was actually really inappropriate but anyway I was in a relationship with him on and off for about like five six years it got worse every year kind of thing. Like he became more of this, like from a mentor to like a guru to this like master kind of vibe. I think sometimes you have to call him his master. <laughs> he had you call him his master? 
<laughs> something like that kind of like how Osho because he was a he followed Osho teaching so I think like Osho called himself a master or something like that but I was in this cult with just a few people it was it was kind of like a smaller group so it's less known but yeah just a lot of narcissistic abuse I would even go as far as to say like sexual abuse just being so young and having had gone through so much mental health illnesses like depression and anxiety and who knows what else I had an eating disorder as well at the time. Um, I was just so young and I had all these pressures of being a spiritual person, like awakening, going beyond my trauma. Trauma's not real. Just like wake up like that. Wake up, yeah. wake up. And it was it was so much pressure to become enlightened, whatever that even means now. And I was just doing it for approval. Like I was just And he was offering you, it sounds like the answers right to all of it. <laughs> like I've got the magic yeah. for you that can cure the anxiety, the eating disorder, yeah. the depression, like all of it. Plus you get to have a lover on top of it. Yeah. And it's like the on and off stages of narcissistic abuse. So you get all of that love and approval and everything feels good. And then what do they do? They hurt you. They yeah. say you're not good enough. They poke at you and your self-esteem goes lower and then they pick you back up. And so that I could only depend on him. Like, I learned that I can't trust myself. Like, he would say this. I can't trust myself. He was the only person I could trust. He represented truth to me. And, like, even all other teachers, he would, like, mock them. Every other teacher. They weren't good enough. Only he was. And I I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you when you're so young, you haven't been exposed. I mean, I got into the cult much later in life. So I can't even use the younger age. It doesn't matter. But, yeah. (laughs) But I think especially at that age, you're so impressionable and because it started as romantic and then he became kind of the guru mentor or was it vice versa? It was kind Um, of a mixed blend. Kind of a mixed blend. Before the label of guru came, I would consider him a mentor or like some sort of teacher. I mostly considered him like my best friend at Mm. the time. I was in high school and I would have a spare in high school and I would go to his house over lunchtime and stuff and we would hang out. And it was friendly and it was kind of like flirty, romantic. But at the same time, I looked up to him. Yeah. And then over time, when he started to, you know, kind of share with me more than teach at first things about Osho or different spiritual teachings, then I started to be like, okay, he's like a teacher. Okay, he's like a guru. Okay, he's like master. Yeah, etc. How did, wait, how did you actually meet him, meet him? I met him, um through how did I meet him oh the first time I met him he came to my house (laughs) a guy I was dating at the time who's still following him I had met him at a farmer's market playing music or something Mm. and they invited him over we were having this like conscious sober party I mean, in one hand, like my parents was like, I'm 17. It's like a party with no alcohol. But like, at the same time, it's a 35 year old. (laughs) And we did it when my dad was away. Sorry, dad. I think he already knows. But he was away, I think, like in Phoenix or something. We had the house to ourselves. And so we invited a few people over and he was one of them. And I just immediately was magnetized. He had the whole dead eye thing, right? That you think is so magnetizing I don't even know how to explain it just empty eyes psychopath eyes that I was like I know those eyes I know those eyes very very well (laughs) like thinking that it's an enlightenment because there's nothing there and I'm such an emotional being wow they're so much more enlightened than me if only I could have an ounce of that yeah oh they're so empty inside that's so good no yeah but he had those and and yeah and then we just started to talk on like Facebook messenger every day and he thought I was older than I was but then he found out, he thought he knew I was 17 and he was still messaging me every single day. Wow. And did it take a long time before he started to cut you down? Did the love bombing phase last a long time? Do you remember like how he slowly started to cut you down in those ways? I actually remember the first thing that happened, we were super close. Like he was again, my best friend. And what happened one I remember I was studying for like my final exams and he just texted me saying, I have to cut off from you you're not good for me kind of thing like kind of saying that it was like I had toxic energy yeah and I just this anxious attachment in me was just like no Mm -hmm. you know because he at the time again represented this freedom like oh I can just be myself around him he accepts me for who I am all of that stuff that I've been like I've never felt and so it felt like I was dying like I was bawling my eyes and so he did that for like a day and then he he's like okay 
I'll stick around kind of thing. And then he did that again, like maybe a couple months later. And that was a theme. He's, he, he, he did that like for the six years I, I knew him, five or six years, multiple times, multiple times, sometimes lasting months, sometimes lasting only a couple of days. And it was always because of me being toxic or he would say, I, I think he said something like, I am trying to grow an apple tree and you're a rotten branch. Wow. He's like, and it, I have to cut you off before you, you um, grow to the other branches. So that put in, did that put more pressure on you to become more pure, more <laughs> yes. enlightened to be able to? Yeah. It's like, oh, I have to, I have to do all this stuff to be good enough. Sometimes after a while, it also got kind of like pissed off, like, like kind of angry, like, okay, whatever kind of thing. But for the most part underneath I was like I'm not good enough I'm not good enough I'm not good enough something's wrong with me yeah when you're in those cultic situations there's not a safety to even talk down or bad about no what is going on right no. I don't know about you but for me it was like there's no safety to even discuss these things yeah in and a sense right and in my experience if he found out Oof, yeah I would be a cut off branch or it would be awful if he found out and it's, it's so funny because, not funny, but he would talk shit about us all the time. Like, whether, like, someone, like, maybe there's, like, five of us and one of us isn't there. Like, for hours, he would talk shit about how that person isn't, you know, matching up to spiritual ideals or making fun of them. And, and we would go along with it. And it breaks my heart to think that I did that to people that I considered my friends and that I loved. Because it was just this, like, yeah, it was just this weird gossiping energy but he yeah. could do well, it. It's almost like a survival it. thing. Like you have to do it in order to stay in, right? It's kind of like a requirement to be in these groups. Yeah. To be approved of by the leader. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was a big part. I think when I came out too was to really mourn how I had treated other people. Yeah. And I had to face that part within me. I had that us versus them mentality. There was a superiority of my group and yeah. this person is the best and everyone should join this and everyone else is missing out. Yeah. And when you touch that, it's one of the most painful feelings. I, I couldn't believe I had felt that way or I don't know, just the mourning of that was yeah. massive. Yeah. Yeah. On one hand, there's there can be compassion for yourself of like, oh, I understand why I had th those behaviors. Oh, we were groomed to do that, right? But on the other hand, like that sweet heart in us, that empathetic heart, it's like, I can't believe I was like that. Because it's, it's not even how I was mean to people in the cult itself. Like you said, it's like the outsiders of like people that just yeah, don't get it. Or, yeah. And it's like that self-righteousness of this is, this is the answer. Like this one thing is good for eight billion people like are you kidding me but like it's the answer the golden ticket the this one person pill. yeah that's abusing me and treating me like shit even though i'm suffering so much and crying all the time i'm so depressed and want to kill myself but i, I swear it's good you guys it's just your yeah. ego dying like yeah because what were the excuses or the justifications that you had at the time that kept you in do you think i think again uh, Kind of like what keeps a lot of people in narcissistic relationships or with their abuser. If it was him just like cutting me down the entire time, I would have left. Yeah. There was moments like, it, you know, it's like that reeling me back in, giving me all that love and approval and saying like all those compliments of how spiritually aligned I was, whatever. Because I, just... I had learned that that was like the ultimate, you know. I never thought that until I met him, but I learned like that was the end all and so if he was starting to assure me that I was reaching that then it's like oh and I trusted him right so I'm like oh he knows I trust him more than myself so and then also yeah just like that romantic love and just the fun times I think being in these kinds of dynamics or relationships it's like it's so black and white and it's so extreme so the highs are super extreme and then the lows are super extreme but it perpetuates that like oh but I just want that high yeah and like all I gotta the get back to that yeah and then it makes it worth it to like go through all the lows because at least the high is better than yeah yeah but meanwhile the high is actually just dissociation <laughs> and the lows is feeling all the pain and then you dissociate and you think you're in bliss and you're like oh no I'm just cut off from my body and my feelings and everything totally 
and living in this fantasy world. Yeah, God, I so relate. And that's, I mean, it, that's what I think I've, I've found so fascinating is just the similarities. Mm-hmm. That's why I love talking about like your situation because it's almost like the domestic abuse romantic relationship cycle right Mm -hmm. and then also the cultic dynamic of it's not just a relationship partner but it's also the cult and it's like in my studies you know we're studying trafficking and gangs and just every kind of coercive dynamic and it's all the same and i think it's so important to point to like what you said it, it is the abuse cycle like all of these underlying patterns of how this happens it's just so similar. And once you can wake up and start to see the patterns to one, you can start it like, it all starts to unfold and break down. I mean, I looked back to our messages when we got out of the second one and we were calling the leader narcissistic, but at least I didn't know even what that meant. It was funny. We were using that term, but I I was like, God, he's such a narcissist. I found those messages back in 2018. Mm But yet it still took me another few years before I actually woke up to what we had been through and what that was. Yeah. Because did you feel like when you got out of this first, the small group dynamic and that relationship? Well, first of all, how did you get out? (laughs) Did you wake up to the depths of what that was? It was different. So how I got out was, so it was just, it just got so painful and yeah. to the point where cause he would ask us for money all the time, like all the time. I, and we gave it like all the time. I gave him so much money and so many, like in my computer, my keyboard, he sold that, like so many things. I was traveling at the time and I was going to meet him somewhere in Asia and I landed in the same country, but not in the same city. I was going to see him the next day. And before I went, he's like, before you come, I want you to give me the rest of your money and ask your mom for $2,000. I was so used to this, him making these demands all the time. And it it just got to this point where I was like, no. And I didn't. And then I just didn't answer him. And I was terrified. Like, I was terrified. And I went through, I was in Nepal, and I went through such, like, a dark night of the soul for months. And I I believed that I was wrong. So my wake-up situation wasn't like, oh, this is so messed up. Like he's wrong. It was I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not I'm willing broken. to surrender. I can't because that was this whole thing. Surrender to him, basically, and be my servant. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> right. But like, it meant like a spiritual surrender. Surrender your ego. Surrender your needs. Surrender even your physical needs. All that stuff. Which oh, but so for so long, I thought I was the problem, and then when I was in, it's funny enough. That's when I started to watch videos of Bentinho. <laughs> No. Because <laughs> it was it because of the opposite energy yes. of empowerment, yes. right? Yes. Oh, we, we, oh, yep. wow, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, ooh, this teacher, I should follow him instead. <laughs> That's what happens, this cult hopping. It's like we leave one because yeah. like it sounds like the first one was all about the surrender and the polar opposite wants to come on board, the empowerment. Yeah. And then thinking that it's quote unquote better. That's what I noticed for mine. It was like cult hopping. It was like, no, well, when I left Bentinho, the next one was all about the inner child and it was all about Mm -hmm. love and emotions, which Bentinho does not do, like does not accept your emotions. You're not a person. You're not a person. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You're not your thoughts. And you go to the next one, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I never even knew that. Yeah. Like it was in a weird way. Like that's what helped me get out of my dark night of the soul. To, get, to step into empowerment? You yeah. Mean? So I was in Nepal. I deleted all social media. I didn't talk to anyone for like two months, which is alone in this country. And then I started to watch YouTube videos of Bentinho. And then, then I started to feel empowered. What I recognize now was this false sense of empowerment. At the time, I guess that's what I needed. And that's fine. It was a false sense. And it was, again, dissociation. And it was like, I'm going to bypass all of these bad feelings instead of going into them or going to therapy <laughs> where I can deal with them safely. Well, therapists don't understand the spiritual side. Like, they just don't get the enlightenment, right? Like, yeah, they're like, uh... <laughs> that's what I was taught. <laughs> you can't yeah. trust them. Yeah, that's totally it. And I also had really bad experiences with therapists when I was a teenager that I was like, I don't when you want to go there so I was all of a sudden just feeling ecstatic and yeah yeah. and then I followed Bentino really intensely and around that so that's what got you out of the first one was finding these new teachings that felt more empowered to help get you out of that dark night of the soul yeah I mean you know it wasn't just like black and white like I still I still took about like a year to like 
transition transition and also feel like did I was it me and then I had you know Mm -hmm. my ex-boyfriend who's still a good friend of mine today like he he supported me so much and kind of just continued to be like no like you're you're not wrong that guy is fucked up like that guy's messed up like you didn't do anything (laughs) wrong and and more and more people and obviously all of my when I was a teenager I had interventions from my family and friends they knew that this dude was not okay and so having more support from like people like that I had honestly like cut out for so long because yeah that's what you do when you're in a cult um so over time I remember you showing me even just emails and text messages Mm -hmm. and I was like blown away Mm -hmm. like whoa and I think that's the thing I looked at that and I was like well that's not what I'm in like it's not that bad or it's not that overt I could see the the abuse so clearly in those in that documentation but for me, I didn't have specifically that kind of documentation. So I think that's why it was it was so confusing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so easy to compare. But that person really was abused. This is an abuse. Yeah. This is actually helping me. Even though I still feel like shit every day. Even though I still feel... Right. Like- I didn't get branded. Like my vagina didn't get branded. You know, like I didn't have a cottering iron set to my pubic area. <sighs> that, I mean, that's honestly mm-hmm. what I was going through when I woke up. Well, I didn't get branded. It's not that bad. Yeah. It took me a long time to even realize, especially these sophisticated, I mean, all types of emotional, psychological abuse. Mm-hmm that you don't need any of the physical, you don't even need to have the sexual relationship, Mm-mm. that it can be just as destructive. It can be just yeah. as, we can't compare. We can't compare notes. And, you know, considering like you were in like an inner circle, like you were close to the person, yeah. but it could still be harmful for someone who's not. Just the yes. way the teachings are being taught. Yeah, well, and that's actually... Oh, That's actually what woke me up was one of my clients, I didn't know that they were following the same teacher. Mm -hmm. And she had never gone to a retreat, never even met him in person. It was all online on YouTube and on Crowdcast, like some Mm -hmm. of the online Mm -hmm. events or whatever. And she was suicidal, rock bottom. And then one day, I think I mentioned you know, Bentinho's name. And she just started crying. She was like, what? Like, we didn't know that there was that. She didn't know I was in the inner circle. And I had shared my story. This was before even I came out publicly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made me step into wanting to be a whistleblower. Because it's like, oh my God, it's not just the inner, like, I thought it was just us inner circle yeah. people or the ex-girlfriends and stuff. Like, I thought it was just us. But when I heard about her, who had was on the outer, 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 outer rings of this cult, it lit this fire of, I have to speak out. I have to start sharing no matter how scary it is. And so many people, like even when I came out and started whistleblowing, so many people didn't want to speak up because they're like, oh, well, it wasn't as bad as you inner circle people. I wasn't as close to him. I didn't mm-hmm. have those those one-on-one distortion readings. I didn't have those group distortion readings. You can't compare. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just like, you kind of have to look at, okay, since following this person, whether you were in an, an, the inner circle or a romantic partner or just have never met them and just followed them online since then, how have you been doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's your life been like? And again, it might be the high highs and low lows, but still, it's, is that, that's not really sustainable either. That's kind of a red flag for me. If you're going like super high and then plummeting. And that's it. Is there practical changes in your life? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the crazy thing, right? It's like you look at these teachers and they're promising you divine relationships or unconditional (laughs) love or uh, what were some of the other retreats that he had? You know, (laughs) be in God's bliss for eternity. Like be the eye of the hurricane. (laughs) Be the eye of the hurricane. So no matter what problems come, you are the center divinity that the one that never changes, you know? Yeah. And yet I was a freaking hurt, you know, and always thinking that I was the problem, right? Yes. And always thinking that you're the problem. Something is wrong with you. And and you look around and and so many people can be good at Mm. wearing that mask and pretending to themselves that they're okay. And so you look around and and no one's talking about that they're not okay. And I was the one that was, you know, telling all the other inner circle people I was suicidal. And I said I wanted to kill myself. Like for months, I wanted to 
to die. I, I, I was in so much suffering and anxiety and depression, yeah. but they just told me I was being attacked by entities oh, or that, God. you know, calling me that I was the weakest link on the team and I was the main issue. The weakest link you on know? a team. Yeah. I have a text message from the group. Yeah. And he called me out in front of everybody else saying that Callie is the weakest link on the team. Everybody needs to watch out for her. And it was like, oh my God, I am the weakest link on the team. Cause nobody else was that depressed. Like no one else was that, you know? So and, they said, so they pretended. Right, well, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, waking up, one of the biggest turnarounds for reframes for me was, and I, it's funny because I'll, not funny again. <laughs> it's like funny, not funny. I know, funny, right? it's, but yeah. I hate using that word, but I think people understand. Yeah. But working with other people, they've gotten similar things of they were told that they just couldn't make it. They didn't have what it, it took to become enlightened yes. or they didn't have, right, that they too were the weakest, whatever it is in their own language. Yeah. They all have their own terminology or your low density or service to others being or whatever yeah. it is. But what I realized was being called the weakest link on the team was actually the biggest the biggest gift in a sense. Cause it was like, you couldn't fall for my manipulation. <laughs> like my, my manipulation just didn't work on you, Callie. Like, and I, you know, I, I always thought something was, and I was like, Oh my God, like, yeah, that's right. I didn't fall for the, all the bullshit that was being given. I mean, I fell for it, but I didn't fall for yeah. it in the, in the sense of being completely washed of it. You know, yeah. it really helped me not kick myself down. Yeah. You know, my story of getting out of Bentinho. Mm -hmm. And then falling into another one-on-one -on -one narcissistic, psychopathic, yeah. horrible dynamic where it was a cult of two, well, kind of three, because you were in it. With us <laughs> I was a friend about bit. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been through so much together. We've been through so much together. <laughs> you were more affected than I, I was. I, did, I was like in Canada. <laughs> And I was living with this person and they were absolutely Awful. treating me like shit. And it was the same thing of, oh my God, they pop through the absolute. They become enlightened. <laughs> yeah. Because that was the thing in, in, in that community. Yeah, enlightenment. Enlightenment, which they called popping through the absolute. And they kind of coined it as this one instance that would you'd pop through and then you would be there. Mm -hmm. And so this woman in that community claimed to have popped through to the absolute. And then I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to follow her. Now. I know. Well, and then, yeah. Right? Like, oh, she's way more enlightened than Bentinho because we kind of knew that something was off with him. So we left him for this other girl. And she was fun because she was our friend. So it's like, oh, we're she like, was our friend. Friends. It was close. Yeah. yeah. And little by little, oh. she was like slicing me down, cutting me down, telling me that I was weak, that I had too anxious, too this, too that. Yeah. Nothing I did was ever good enough. I so mean, and we leave one thing for the next, for the next. <laughs> yeah, it kind of like reminds me of if we we grow up in stress, you know, like if we're kids and we have like a lot of trauma around us and we're, we're stressed out, our nervous system is stressed out. That's our baseline. Our nervous system is exactly. baseline. Yeah. Our, our comfort yeah. zone, right? And, or like the normalcy of being treated kindly. It's so uncomfortable. It's like, that's not normal. That's a threat. And I think too, because that's what it took for me to start to begin to heal is I had to stop everything, you know, mm -hmm. and I'd been traveling and walking yeah. the Camino yeah. 800 miles yeah. across Spain to move this anxious energy. Like I didn't know that what I was running from in a sense, yeah. because when you stop to actually feel what's underneath, I mean, it was life shattering. We weren't even talking at that time when I was going through that. I couldn't, I didn't talk to anybody. Yeah. I had lost every connection in my entire life because when you slow down, I mean, that, that pain, I can't even describe it of just stopping. It's just, you become unfunctioning. Like, did you have to ever go through something like that or was yours more gradual? I would say that's what did I went go through. through. I think I had to go. Yeah. I think that's sort of what I went through when I was in Nepal, maybe a little bit different and, and then maybe more gradual over the years for me. But I know what you're talking about. Cause the thing is, even if you have a lump sum, you go through it really hardcore. There's still so much more to go through. Like the grief continues. Right. Sometimes you go through a lot at once and you get most of it done in a way. But the grief continues, continues, continues. It's another thing that reminds you yeah. of it. And you're like, oh, and I still get those moments. But I think when I first left that one teacher, I went through a huge grieving process. Like I also was mm. alone in this country, in Nepal, no money suicidal just like 
what's the point questioning everything still thinking I was the problem but like questioning at the same time I read a list of 23 signs of covert narcissism I remember and he he was like 21 out of 23 or something and it was like if they're like five it's a red flag (laughs) I was like oh my but even then I was like, but maybe it's not. <laughs> right? Isn't that crazy? We doubt. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of what you're saying, I think my journey was a little bit more gradual, just like a big like boom, and then time trickles down, and then another like, ooh, grieve, and then, and then, and then et cetera. Cause you you went wow. through like a, yeah. yeah. You went through a big because yeah, we weren't talking. Well, I, and I had to wake up through I had to wake up to all of them at once. Yeah. Or I think you you took the time at least to grieve from the first one, which probably supported that process. This is what I think people don't understand is even when you see the sign, like going back to that, those, that list of covert narcissists, you can read the list. Mm. But what do you think it, I want to like kind of go deeper into that. Mm. Like, why do you think it's so hard? Because this is what I hear from everybody, even reading all these books on cults and you know, even as I was helping others, there was still a part of me that didn't want to even say it was a cult mm, for sure. or say that, you know, I started to wake up to realize that one of my ex-boyfriends was a covert narcissist as well. And there's still that part in us that doesn't want to say, yes, I was in a cult or, oh my God, that was a narcissistic. Why do you think that I is? have two things on this? First of all, the more like obvious one is if we admit that your whole world gets turned up upside down. It's like everything you thought was real is it's yes. a lie, which we've already been through. I can't trust myself anymore. Mm. Like I, I thought I could trust yeah. myself. I can't it's trust like, what myself. What does this mean about me? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's like, and also my mm-hmm. fault. And it's mm-hmm. like, if I can't trust myself or like how many times that we were talking about before, I have like the outside world of like, oh, you must follow this person. And then it's like, you're influencing other people. And it's like, oh my goodness, I influence so many people. And I turned out to be mm-hmm. like so problematic and so like violent. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like, what does this mean about me? I can't trust myself, et cetera. Or, and what do I believe anymore? I think that's the thing, right? So a lot of times they, how they get people in and how, why you stay is because they do use some truths or yes. some tools that are actually beneficial yeah. that can actually help you. Right. Yeah. But th- they're not the owners of these, <laughs> these things, but we're like, and they're wait, them. there's some truth in here. So I have to stay in here because there's some kind of truth that I'm trying to figure out that I'm trying to like, yeah. right? And if you step out, it's like everything comes crashing down and you're, that, that house that you built yes. is now crashed and <laughs> completely destroyed. Now what, where, who am I? What do I believe? Yeah. Like I was so strong in my beliefs and now it's just all completely. Gone. Absolutely. Like, who am I now? Yeah, yeah. And then again, because what you said is so true. It's like they they do have teachings that, again, aren't their teachings, but they're, there's morsels of truth in it that we take and we're like, that that was what was making it worth it. Like these little morsels of truth, but then it was all skewed and everything. I like that. My other theory is that in specifically spiritual communities, when I was reading this list of narcissistic tendencies, I was like, Okay, the outside world, the non-spiritual, logical outside world deems this as this, but in the spiritual world, (laughs) it's different because in my head, I was like, the only reason my teacher, guru, whatever, was behaving that way was to wake me up. He was a mirror for what I needed. Yes, a clear clear mirror. mirror. The prophet that was sent down and incarnated from this amazing (laughs) world. He showed up so that I could get triggered and I could. Thank you for, thank you for triggering me and for treating me like shit and abusing me so I could wake up to the divinity. I'm just showing up in the way, whatever they say, like spirit or the absolute or whatever wants me to Mm -hmm. show up for you. I have no preference on how I show up I'm not a person I'm just showing up just based on what is like I don't know whatever spiritual jargon you want to use the way that was taught to me from the get-go I would you've seen some of the messages he sent me like they're so abusive with me like calling me a fat whore cow and like crazy stuff and I'm like this is to help me this is to help me 
Right? Yeah. And so that narcissistic point, oh, like it, on the outside, this it's is what it's different. It doesn't like. count for this. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. count. That's yeah. the thing. It's like they don't that's get it. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And that's, yeah, it's exactly that because I remember even he would say things to me like, oh, I don't like playing mm. this role. But I have mm-hmm. to. It's not. It's not my choice, right? I'm. It's like that dark horse. I'm playing this dark horse because no one else will, and I will love you that much. And it's interesting because the cult after that that I got into, which was led by a woman who was very much in the emotional, feminine, angelic, inner child, supportive, you know, that kind of thing. I remember our very first one-on-one session that we did. Did I tell you this? Like she went in to heal my sexual abuse. She went in, like this is right. the first time I met her and she went deep into like one of my deepest sexual traumas from youth. And she made me go in and told me that my abuser, my, I want to get this right. Like my abuser loved me so much because we were a soul family before we got here and they loved me so much that they chose to incarnate as my abuser to rape me and abuse me in order to wake me up to the divinity that I am so that I'm not affected by rape or anything else. So in fact, she, she then, it was a one hour mm-hmm. session. So it had me dive into the depths of that pain of that of sexual abuse and then ended up turning it around to say, now love them, love that abuser. And anything, any hatred or any feelings that you have is is not pure, is not there, is not right because this person loves you that much that they did that to you. They didn't want to, but they, they chose that role in order to love you more. I want to punch something right now. Holy sh- When you, at that time, did you recognize that that was bullshit or did you believe that? Yeah. No, I thought I believed it. I believed it because it was, I think there's, like you were saying, it's like the spiritual ideal of, you know, there's this part of me that wants to be pure, that wants to just have love for everybody and everything. And there is, and I think this is the confusing part, right? Because there's a part that, you know, even with any of these cult leaders, there is still a sense of me that can feel their wounded child, that they too were probably abused. And that's why they're acting like that. And that can touch into that caring, nurturing type that wants to just be unconditionally loving and forgiving. Because I don't want to hold anger in my heart towards anyone because that's just hurting Mm. me. So these, you know, these, these kinds of spiritual ideals, but not knowing that well, okay, that's one thing to have compassion for the hurt child that's underneath, but it's another thing to say this abuse is not Absolutely. okay. And to stand as like a mama bear to say, fuck you. No, yeah. you don't get to abuse or disrespect. You don't get to like to have a voice and say no or to stand up against it. Like that's something I didn't even have in me. I mean, I think because I, yeah. I was ripped out from me because all of these cult leaders, they don't want you to have Mm -hmm. anger. They don't want you to stand up and have a voice because then they would be, all their shit would be, you know, it would be confronted and they wouldn't be able to get away with what they And how much they shame anger. Yeah. That's why we don't have it because it's so shamed. Exactly. Exactly. So I think a part of me wanted to be forgiving and wanted to be loving. So it felt like, okay, yeah. You know, it, and it took a lot of training for me to really unleash my yeah. anger and to have a voice and to be like, no, this anger is right. Like, cause I think there's a part of the process too. What I'm realizing and I'm kind of like starting to map out is this process of recovery from cults and narcissistic abuse or any kind of psychological, any kind of just fucked up behavior. Let's just call it that. Like anytime that you get betrayed or hurt in any kind of way that that's really deep there's this process where you have to almost have a polarity of this person is evil and mm-hmm, wrong, mm-hmm. like to stand up and say no. And like, I'm not even, I don't even care about your trauma. I don't care about any of that. Like that, that part needs to come online to own that you were yeah. in fact victimized, that somebody treated you horribly. And that's what yeah. I hate too, because I think a lot of these gurus, 
Ventini included, really focus on shaming the victim. Mm-hmm. Right? Look at these whistleblowers. They could have said no. They could have walked away at any time. They, you know, and they try to shame that yeah. to get you to then think something's wrong with you. I, was, and God, I know so many things. So many I have like different like angles. 10, <laughs> Um, I know. So, and then that turns into the whole like what you resist persists thing. It's just these teachings are so ironic in how they're trying to have a neutral standpoint, but a lot of emotions are then like criminalized. Anger, especially, even yeah. sadness, any of the bad ones. And that's, I put those in quotations bad because like we, and even a society as a whole, we have labeled anger, especially as like bad. Um, but quickly, I want to come back to what happened to you with this woman. First of all, no one has the right to tell someone what they should do in order to heal. People can make suggestions, but having that, like, I don't know. I just know what she did was completely not acceptable because it's so messed up. But, like, what she did was essentially dismissing the part of you that had its boundaries crossed, which a lot of the time looks like anger. And before we can forgive, first of all, we don't even need to forgive. Like it is not necessary for anyone to forgive. If they want to, great. But before anyone can forgive abuse, you have to acknowledge the victim. And when I say victim, there's no connotation of that being bad. You have to acknowledge the victim that was abused and how it feels. That somebody targeted yes. you. And overrode mm-hmm. your boundaries. Because that's what anger is. It's when my boundaries are crossed, are anger crossed. is like, no. Anger is just saying no. And of course, anger can get convoluted and get violent and what have you. But the core of anger is just empowerment of like, no. Yeah. Because there is wisdom yeah. in that. I mean, and that has been the most liberating thing in my recovery is to honor my yeah. anger. And that's what... So, like, I just want to say thank you because someone knows my anger more than anybody else. Your like, I just send her a voice note and I'm just like, like, you know, it's interesting because I just shamed it so much yeah. for so long. And you were like the one person that just loved it. We're like, <laughs> like laughing at it, but in a good way. Like, yeah, Callie, you have every right to feel this way. Like, and I was like, what? I do? Like, I'm not a bitch. Like, it's also okay. interesting how like <laughs> I love this about you so much how you just get over things so fast like okay so Callie will send me a message and I'll be like not available for like the hour like I'll be in a session or doing something and then I get to my phone and I listen she'll send me like a voice message and then a bunch of like other messages and I, I start at the beginning and then I listen to the voice message and it's just like super angry about something, like, you know, letting something out. And I'm like, she'll send another one. Totally, like 10 minutes later, she'll be like, oh my God, guess what? Guess what I found out about this thing? Like, <laughs> I'm starting a podcast and this is amazing. Like nothing happened. Like nothing happened. <laughs> so I think with you and with maybe with like a lot of people, like people don't realize that when we have these outlets, a lot of the time it only lasts like two minutes when you really let it out. When you, yes, when you allow it to be seen, exactly. It has Mm -hmm. to be a safe space. You allow it the space to give it a voice, to be seen, to be heard, to be acknowledged and you feel it fully. Like that's what I've realized. It's a pressure cooker. All I need is just let the top off, let the steam out. And then like, yeah, two seconds later, I'm like, oh, that felt good. Okay, cool. I'm I'm good. Like no trigger, no no yeah. nothing anymore. But and I think that's the problem with a lot of society is we don't we don't have a safe space to share and we're afraid of being judged or my narcissistic ex every time I would share my anger or depression or anxiety or any kind of thoughts with him I would get met with mm-hmm. repercussion like you know or threatened to leave or threatened to you know there was never a safe space to share so we suppress it and then it just lasts forever. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful part about you know, the space that now we get to hold for other people is I'm like, so much anger. All out. Yeah. Come on. Like, yeah. You know, you get these sweet, you know, a lot of cults are, you know, there's just like the sweetest, most innocent souls that have never even touched anger because they haven't yes. been allowed to. But when they touch it, it's like scary as hell. But I'm like, no, yes, yes. Let that anger I, out. Like, a couple so of my good. clients, I have pink boxing gloves and there's some moments. It's so sweet. My partner will just hold like, his hands and he's like, just do it and I just punch his hands with his pink boxing gloves 
or you can punch pillows. A couple of my clients bought boxing gloves. <laughs> so happy about it. Cute. It's like, yeah, like anger. It kind of reminds me of like this metaphor of you're in an ocean and then a wave comes. It's like if you ride the wave, okay, then it lasts not that long. But if you're like swimming away from the wave. Oh, on, in that undercurrent? like It's just like pummeled. so much time. <laughs> Coming up for breath. <laughs> I know. And it's so much worse than the wave itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so hard because when you're in it, I mean, and all the science of the brain shows this too, right? Like when you're in it, it's, even though I know this time and time again, it's so crazy how even when I'm in that depth of the emotion, when that comes up, it's, it's so easy to just forget that, oh yeah, that's just going to pass. You have no access to the neocord, like you have no access yeah. to a logical, rational brain that's going to be able to help you through that. Yeah. And that's why I say what's helped me is to just be like, well, one, mm-hmm. to have a friend Yeah, like support you. networks. <laughs> yes. Support now of people who really get it and really honor your your emotions and don't mm-hmm. judge you for it. The other thing was relating it to almost like being like a kid, a two year old, like that. You know the terrible mm-hmm. twos where they have the temper mm-hmm. tantrum. Mm-hmm. Like allowing myself to see when I'm activated or I've hit that core wound or something gets triggered, yeah. and to just see it. It's it is like a temper tantrum of a two year old where I just have to hold that loving space. And let myself go through the tantrum. There's nothing you can do for a, a child who's in throwing a complete tantrum. You can't no. logically talk them out of it, or you just gotta let that energy yeah. and be flow. be the holder of that. Yeah, right. Just to hold that safe space to be like, of course, sweetheart, you feel like yeah. that. Of course, you. This feel is like kind that. of my own definition of resiliency. It's like. Yes, when we're in the heat of the moment, again, like you said, how the brain works, our neocortex, we can't rationalize things. We're in that fight or flight dysregulation. We the can't just flipped. like bypass the trigger, bypass the trauma and enter the bliss. And that's, that's dissociation, which is also dysregulation. Essentially, the more we experience holding the emotion, and that's not to say that you always have to like, just go off the deep end into the anger or the sadness because, you know, there's safety levels of that too. Sometimes we need to distract ourselves or calm ourselves down or what have you. But the more we feel these feelings or the more we're with them and then they pass, the more we build that resiliency of, okay, so I've done this like 400 times. (laughs) Obviously we don't count, but it's like, I've done this so many times and every single time without fail, it passed. And so for me, now I know when I wake up in the morning and I feel depressed or I feel like super upset or what have you almost almost not all the time but almost every time I'm like this is just what it is right now and I know it's not gonna last forever because every single time it passed yeah even if it was just for a laugh even if it was just for like an hour there was still it still passes yeah and really putting that importance on supporting my nervous system to calm down because when I learned about the polyvagal ladder and how the nervous system works and how trauma works, like that was massive for me. And and what I share a lot with my clients, because it's like, of course you can't think straight. Of course you can't work. Of course you can't be creative. Of course you can't because your whole system is shut down or in dorsal or in, or even in sympathetic. And it's like, you have to honor where it is and support it where it is of what it needs and to ask yourself, what am I feeling? What am I needing in this moment? And how can I give that to myself? And no, I can't, you know, all these things come up and it's like, okay, yeah. yeah." And just keep giving that space again and again. And now I'm realizing it's like, you know, even with this, the creation of this podcast, I was on a huge creation burst and then somebody in another (laughs) community said something and it brought up this big trigger within me and I had to just Mm. stop and allow myself to give up all this day of creation and I just took a bath Epsom yeah, salt yeah, yeah. is my go-to, Epsom salt baths and like a Netflix or yeah, a you cult know. documentary or anything. Like, I love like all the murder and like psychopath, like, cause I love analyzing and now that I'm studying all this, it's like all going into my research. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, creation's back. Like everything's yeah. gone, right? When you take that time to help your nervous system start to regulate. One mm-hmm. more thing I want to say too, and which can cause a lot of controversy that I really disagree with in the field. I think you probably might've remembered when this happened, but when I got out of the cult, I actually joined one of the top cult experts, mm-hmm. one of their programs. And 
they were teaching about the mm. window of tolerance. You have to keep your nervous system within this window and not get too activated and also not become too dissociated, but to keep it within this frame. But I think what that did for me, the window of tolerance really did not work for me specifically. Not saying it doesn't work for other people in certain situations is very helpful, but especially as a cult survivor where my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings were so controlled and regulated and I was told how to feel and what to feel and that these things were okay, that that window of tolerance for my nervous system, like trying to keep me within that, to keep me titrating and keep me, you know, I even saw that somatic experiencing practitioner after I got out and it was the worst thing that I think I could have done. And even though I loved the person, I loved her and I trusted her, but she also tried to keep me mm -hmm. contained. And all I needed was like, don't freaking contain me. Like I had to express and feel and cry and like just do all the yeah. things. And that was the most healing. And then from there, now I can work with this and I have the resilience and I can have these tools and I'm not having the crazy bipolar swings that I used to have. Yeah. I don't know. You know, the main thing I think with this window of tolerance thing, what I, my theory, Kelly, is that your window of tolerance was probably actually just wider. So this is what I see all the time. Ah. And so like, like the window of tolerance is like what we can handle. And so it's like, just because people are crying, just because people are like wanting to yell, just because people are seemingly explosive does not necessarily mean that they're out of the window of tolerance. What practitioners mostly assume is that yes, they're out of the window of tolerance. But yeah, I think for you, I think what the real thing is, is that you weren't actually out of your window of tolerance. So you're like, no, like, stop, yeah. stop making me inhibit something that I'm comfortable with feeling because you feel deeply. And I'm fine feeling yeah, this. Feel. Like, yeah, being angry and crying, yeah. like, it's not that big of a deal for me because I've, I'm yeah. used to feeling that. And I've been through so many dark nights of the soul where I'm suicidal. I can handle a lot of yeah. emotion and energy. Yeah. Not, yeah. And and thank you for saying that too, because I think it also is a reflection. I think this was why it was so upsetting is I think my emotions and my anger or my things were reflecting to that therapist mm -hmm. or those experts of like what things that they weren't comfortable with, things that they hadn't experienced. Yeah. So they were trying to contain me so that they could feel yeah. comfortable, Yeah, you know? And because when somebody has never felt to those depths and been in that much pain or suffering, then they want to control others to not feel that way because they, they, they label it as bad Unsafe. or wrong or, and it might not be their fault. It can be out of a good, quote, yeah. unquote, good intention, but I don't think people realize how actually detrimental that can be to yeah. somebody. And a lot of my clients have come to me almost as a last resort in the sense of they've tried therapists, they've tried all these things and it's not yeah. working. And they come to me and they're like, why the hell isn't this working? And I'm like, well, were you allowed to like just share? And they're like, no, they, you know, forced this, mo you know, they were using all these modalities and tools and it, great. You know, I mm -hmm. use some modalities and tools too, but when the focus becomes on the modality and the tool instead of the person and what they yeah. need in that moment, and maybe in that moment, they just need to be heard and Stop putting your fingers in front of my eyeballs. Stop putting a pointer in front of me. Like, stop getting no, worksheets. worksheets. Oh, don't get me like, started on worksheets. Questionnaires. <laughs> like, don't even do that to me. Like, I'm going to rip your head off. I am off. a no like, worksheet no. therapist. Yeah, no. I, I do like worksheets. <laughs> you may. I do like some. For, you, for your cult. For like the red flags and green flags. <laughs> yeah, like I like some things like that. Because I think it helps my mm -hmm. logical brain get yeah. on board. It's helped me balance. You have mm -hmm. to tune in because again, your client might like, if I had you at a client, I'm not going to give you worksheets. <laughs> you got to attune to the yeah. person. My research paper now on the recovery of cults and course of control and narcissistic abuse is all about my professor wants me to focus on the modalities that are going to help. And I'm like, it's really about the attunement and the safe space and psych education to understand that they're not crazy, not gaslight. You know, there's so much more that's underneath all of these things. And yes, lots of research that shows that these modalities can help. And I'm not saying that they mm -hmm. don't, but I've done EMDR twice, but with therapists mm -hmm. who were not attuned to me. And it made it work. Like mm -hmm. I, you saw me mm -hmm. as a result of these other therapists. It was yeah. hell. I know? think what I've been noticing, because it's like, I'm a therapist. I know 
like different techniques. Like I specialize in like somatic work and I'm really into internal family systems. And I love using that. I love using them. And I do. That being said, and so years ago, I had this thought that talk therapy is not that effective. Like you need to get into the nervous system and all that stuff. And yes, you do in order to like process a lot of trauma, like process, process it. That being said, now that I'm working with people that had their voice taken away, that feel shame yeah. for their expression, I have noticed yes. that the part of like the best work in our therapy sessions is them just talking about whatever they want to talk about. And yes, we can still yes. like go through things in a therapeutic way, but like talk therapy has surmounted. Like it's... An, even for me, I'm like, okay, like I was humbled in this because I had this idea that is not going to help necessarily. It's just going to run in circles. For some people it might, but again, that's the attunement and coming back even to the window. I understand why therapists are at first, at least at the beginning, when they're just getting to know a client, when they are not sure of someone's window of tolerance, because they don't know them and not all clients are as self-aware or self-understanding yeah. of their window of tolerance. I, I There are a lot that, ugh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't even know when I'm dissociating. I don't know when I'm, like, getting hyper-aroused or whatever. Like, they don't necessarily know. And so I do understand with even being a therapist, okay, we're, we want to go slow. And I'm also a fan of not pushing things at the beginning. Like, in my therapy sessions, I don't, like, for a session, I'm not just, like, trauma like let's get into your biggest traumas what happens too fast too soon too much at once if you go into therapy to heal too much too soon too fast like to get into that the trauma is gonna constrict and be like no get away from me you have to go slow and so on some ways like I do understand why therapists take it slower with the window of tolerance that being said I think it's important for them to ask their clients what they know of themselves right and to build that relation yes Yes. And to see what they need and what's working yeah. and what's not working. Those who haven't been educated or experienced in course of control, they don't realize that for a lot of it, it it's they don't know how to speak up for what they feel and need. Yeah. And that's why a lot of the times in the beginning with my clients, let's just first go to what are you needing? And and to f- feel safe to be to tell me when they don't yeah. like something. And for me to be, I don't know what's going to be best for you. I can have ideas and I backed by research of what might work for you. However, that might not work for you. (laughs) Because I know for me, looking at all these research papers, what they told me was best absolutely did not work for me. So I'm not going to assume that it's going to work for you, but I'm also not going to say it's not going to work. Like, let's try maybe it. it. will work for you, even though it didn't work and for me. Tell let's me try what you it feel. And let's open a yeah. dialogue. Yeah. And tell me yes. what you didn't. And that was huge. I mean, one of my clients, she was able to tell me early on, she's like, I'm, I feel like a, I, I'm afraid to tell you this. And I'm like, I, you know, you don't have to, if you want, if you want to email it to me. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to tell you. And I was yeah. able to receive it and and then get take that feedback and change the way we did our session. She wanted me to hold it in a more masculine mm-hmm. structure, being more structured yeah. in that sense or logical with her rather than the soft, accepting, you know, surrendering approach. It was such a beautiful thing. And she's made so much progress because it's like really trusting everybody's innate intelligence that they know exactly what they need for their yes. own recovery. You know, and not for me to say, oh, well, she's been in all this masculine, so I shouldn't be more logical, structured with her. I should be. She needs the feminine. Like, who am I to know that? I need to trust her guidance and this intelligence. And wow, like so much progress in such a short time and her voice Mm. is coming back. And I think that's the thing, right? Especially when we've Mm. we've been abused in relationship Mm. to have a safe, secure relationship. It doesn't have to be a coach or a therapist or any couldn't mm-hmm. be a best friend or somebody that you really but to have that safe secure base to rebuild what it is to be able to be like oh I can go to you and say that didn't feel right and you're actually going to care about my feelings and yeah. needs, and you're actually gonna want to change that especially Huge. okay you're working in this um like you're working with people that have been in cults where they didn't have a voice to ask for what they needed and they weren't empowered to yes. even know what they needed. And so even the fact that 
that's amazing that they spoke up. Like that's already probably like awesome. I know, and that's <laughs> what I said. I was like, whoa! It could like it could take a yeah. year before somebody speaks up to tell me what they in need. Being a position like, that like you and I are in, helping people, like we can't deny it is a power dynamic. You just have to acknowledge that this is a power dynamic. Yes, I am mm-hmm. the therapist, and there is a power dynamic. But I will treat you as an equal, and I will treat you with respect and unconditional respect. That being said, like, I am the therapist, you are the coach, there is like sort of an authority figure to that. And we have to understand that acknowledge and then exactly. And that's what a lot of these. And that's what I say, anyone who is in any kind of power dynamic or leadership role, or mentor or teacher or coach to really know this and take that self responsibility and to know that the people coming to you are going to have yeah. trauma or might not be able to speak up. And, and so you, it's up to us to be able to give that space for them yeah. to do that, yeah. you know? I think it's Yeah, huge. like the number it's one huge. ethical thing, like the one, number one ethics is like client's best interest. It's not about us. I try to tell my clients, I'm going to check in with you if this is working. Like after a few sessions, kind of like, is this working? I'm not offended. If you if you're mean to me, I might get offended. If you just tell me, like I don't like this or I don't want to answer that question, great. Now I know better how to help you. <laughs> like, please speak up. Yeah, and even if it did offend you, then yes. that's my yes. thing. Yeah, I'll not go to therapy thing. for that that's myself. That's for me to process. <laughs> exactly. If I need to. Exactly. Yeah. It's no, not on you. It's not about me. Right. And also being in this right. role, I feel like a lot of people in this role were able to set our selves aside it's just like this I don't know about you but when I'm with a client it's like my stuff is like over Mm -hmm. here compartmentalized and I'm there this is for them it's not for me present has nothing to do with me it's like and you can't go mm-hmm. in with an agenda mm-hmm. of like, agenda. they can feel that. I mean, people are smart. They can feel, and especially cult survivors, <laughs> like you can't bullshit them or like have any kind of, it's like my spidey senses <laughs> are like heightened. We just opened up this deep dive conversation and went into a lot of different things. But Sama's <laughs> phone is dying. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think we're going to have to Part wrap one. this up for right now. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap this one up? Any any other loose ends? My or, mind goes completely blank. Or, or bookmarks for next time. Um, I know, right? Bookmarks <laughs> for next time. Ooh, I guess because it kind of segues into next time. I guess what we're kind of talking about is like therapy or healing is not like a one size fits all. And that's another thing we can talk about the whole one size yeah. fits all mentality of yeah depending on context Um, (laughs) but understanding that it's not a one-size-fits-all and a healing journey is not a one-size-fits-all and next time we want to talk about using spiritual techniques or using things like astrology or human design after having left a cult or after having left spiritual teachings and it's like where's the balance here what is okay what's not okay what parts of the teachings do I want to keep for myself? Which ones are actually destructive? Or all away? Like, is it all evil? Or like, can I open up to using? Yeah, the nuance and how it's different for everybody. And yeah, yeah, so I guess that's that Mm kind of helps bring it full circle to what how Mm -hmm. we first started the story of hearing your journey in the cult of how you were told that it was a one size fits all approach, that this was the answer, that this was the reasoning and kind of what we're coming back to now. It feels uh-uh. like it's like, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> Anyone that tells, okay, PSA, public service announcement, <laughs> red flag, big red flag, big red flag. If somebody tells you that they have the answer to all your problems and they have the one size fits all easy approach, big, big red flag and let me tell you it's like one of the easiest ones to fall for because that's all I wanted I mm. didn't want to think for myself I didn't want I wanted somebody else to have the answers I wanted somebody else to make all my decisions shortcuts. I wanted the easy approach like I I wanted the shortcut I want and I believe there there, there had to be one because this was so painful like and I was so desperate that I would try and believe just about yeah. anything and that was a huge yeah susceptibility for me that and I believed in it and I don't blame people because it sounds yeah. really good <laughs> and like really wanting it to be true with all of my being like really, really. Yeah. Like the to urgency to want your situation, your suffering to change like that urgency will believe anything. 
it's like, oh, like even like, you know, right. skincare ads, <laughs> like all this stuff. It's like, oh, this will get rid of my wrinkles. Great. Like, I need this to go away. I need this. And it'll fall for anything. And I think it really comes back to is your life mm-hmm. practically improving mm-hmm. if your life's yeah. changing for the best and you're, it's improving your relationships, your mental state, your emotional state, not kind of going back to what you said before of like, no, being in the cult, like yeah. I was getting more depressed, more anxious, hitting more of a rock bottom, me too, right? And so that wasn't working, even though they told us that it was our ego yeah. or whatever being purified. <laughs> there was all this yeah. reasoning behind Yeah, it. almost like, I think I feel like you did this in your package thing that you made, but it's like creating guidelines of like, what does practically getting better look like? Or what is practically feeling? Because it's like when I was in the cult, yes. I was like, no, but this is the best thing for me. This is the best. I feel great. Even though I know I felt bad, but those highs, I took them as like, this is the answer. So it's like practically like that would be cool to maybe get into next time too. Instead of the extreme ups and downs, it's like the sustainable, neutral, (laughs) calm, the body, the nervous system, helping relationships, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And isn't it like, it's just so beautiful because I feel like for the first time in my life, Oh, I like the neutral, like simple? I love the the peace and the nurturing. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I was addicted to those high highs and lows. Yeah. Like, it now my body can't even like it's like simple. Uh-uh, I can't go oh, there. Like uh-uh. simple life. Like mm-hmm. I used to compared to my life back then. I'm like, oh my life's so boring. It's so nice. Like I love my boring. It's not boring, but like I love it. <laughs> I was about to say, this woman is writing a fantasy book, making like crafts. She's got like three or four businesses I'm not going boring. on, like <laughs> vagina earrings, butt candles, fantasy Seriously. novel written within a week. <laughs> Follow her on TikTok. <laughs> no, seriously, how can people find you? Um, if, I have uh, they Instagram, wanna... shamelessly you. Same with my TikTok account for therapy. I have a book talk account, but I'm not going to say that yet. Uh, it's a secret. <laughs> it's very different than my... <laughs> sorry, sorry. No one, whatever. It. People find me, then they find me on there. It's very different than the therapy I offer. Um, I talk about fantasy books a lot on there. But um, yeah, shamelessly you on um, Instagram and TikTok. And then my website is samasatikia.com. And I think that's all I... Those are my things. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. I'll put it in the show notes Great. in case there's anything else that comes up. Uh, well, thank you so much. I feel so honored to like. I love oh, you too. I love you so much. And I'm just so grateful for all your support through this crazy culture. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Part two. Continue. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Exploring Deeper with Callie Sorensen. We hope this conversation has brought you insights and inspiration to explore your own experiences and perspectives deeper. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends and family. Your support helps us to reach more people and continue to create meaningful content. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on our show, please reach out to us at CallieSorensen.com or on Instagram and YouTube at CallieSorensen. Remember, the journey of self-discovery and growth is ongoing. We hope this podcast has encouraged you to keep exploring deeper and expanding your mind. Until next time, may you continue to learn, grow, and thrive. Please be advised that the opinions and views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the guests, hosts, and are not intended as professional advice. The content provided on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional counseling or medical treatment. The opinions shared on this podcast contain personal experiences and opinions that do not apply to everyone or every situation. And anything shared is not intended to malign any religion, belief, group, person, club, organization, individual, anyone, or anything.